0: Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. We're posting one day late because it is Memorial Day, or yesterday was here in the United States. It was the day off, so I took the day off podcasting. Um, But I want to set this up real quick, why we're talking about this topic today, the path of the panther. And I'll explain what that is in a second. Um, You know, we love adventures on this show, obviously. And most of the time, our adventures take place On land that is protected in some ways, whether it be national parks, publicly accessible roadways, state parks, some sort of conservation area. Most of our adventures, if you know, a lot of us aren't huge landowners, so they take place on public land. And the more I have adventures, and the more I continue to enjoy these places and have memories out there and build my life. Around doing adventures, the more I realize the importance of public land and land that has been intentionally set aside for the protection of the environment and for, you know, as kind of a secondary or tertiary reason, recreational use. And as I get older, I get more and more interested about how that land comes to be. Like, how does a national park happen? You know, it's awesome that we can hike across the Grand Canyon, but. Who decided to make it a place that people can do that? Why, why aren't houses all over Yosemite National Park in the Valley? Why, why are there? It's what? How do these places come to be, basically? And I can't seem personally to separate the desire to have more adventures from the desire to know and be a part of how to protect the places we have adventures And all this is to say, and all this is to set up, today we're talking to Eric Bendick, the director of Path of the Panther. Path of the Panther is a documentary about the Florida panther, which is also known as a mountain lion or a cougar or a puma in other parts of the world and the country. And its it's environment, its ecosystem, the, the habitat that it lives in is highly threatened because Florida is a wonderful place to live for the weather. It's usually nice and sunny year-round. People are flocking here, but it's also an incredibly unique and delicate ecosystem. Um, I'm from Florida. A lot of y'all know that, but this show was born and raised in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. A lot of our episodes and a lot of our topics we talk about take place in the mountains out in the American West or overseas or across oceans. But I'm based in Florida, a place that a lot of people don't think of as an adventure hub. And Eric is based in Montana, but he grew up in Florida. And that's why we're talking to Eric today. This story called Path of the Panther is about how the Florida Panther is the hook that got biologists, veterinarians, ranchers, conservationists, and even indigenous people who all found themselves fighting together on the front lines of an accelerating battle between forces of renewal and destruction that have pushed the Florida Everglades, which is an amazing and beautiful and completely unique environment, to the brink of ecological collapse. So this story about the Florida Panthers habitat being you know, paved over and turned into housing developments and Walmart parking lots and, and strip malls, this story is not a Florida story. It's a worldwide story. It's just very evident here. It's very clear to see because there's not that much land here in Florida. And so this idea called the Florida Wildlife Corridor to protect these huge swaths of land forever and keep them from being able to be turned into anything but natural land is going to provide hope to a lot of the U.S. and a lot of the world to accelerate how quickly they protect land. So this panther, this species that's perched right on the edge of extinction, is kind of that litmus test, that emblem of a once connected world and connected environment. and can provide hope to a vision to reconnect a lot of those places because what good is it to protect something like you know, a national park here and a national park there, and it's totally surrounded by houses and towns. No, now those places, those lands need to be connected together with basically pathways and strips of land so that the big animals and the birds and the and, and even the plants can all travel up and down and, and be connected together, just like we as humans connect our little towns and, and cities with roadways, Why not have green roadways all over the place, which is basically just protected land that connects all these places? And as a long-term goal, we in turn get to use that land for adventure. That's where all my adventures happen in the first place, and I bet that's where a lot of yours happen too. So this is a really long intro, and I apologize, but I'm deeply passionate about this subject. And this idea called the Florida Wildlife Corridor, with the panther being probably its most famous inhabitant. That's why it's so important to me to tell this story, to talk about what Eric's been doing the last six years and why and how you should get involved no matter where you live. This is not a story about Florida. This is not a story about just the panther. This is a story about reconnecting the wild places that we love to have adventures. People don't just set aside mountains for us to go climb and have fun in. Somebody has to put in the work. Somebody has to advocate for it and somebody usually long ago spent a lot of their life working to protect it so that you and i can just go out and enjoy it now and the plants and the animals that call it home can continue to do so so i hope you enjoy this conversation if you'd like to watch path of the panther all the details are in the show notes let's dive in All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Very special episode. You know, I've been on a kick lately with this whole uh, Path of the Panther coming out. Well, we have Eric Bendick, the director himself, here to talk. Eric, how's it going?
1: Thanks, Mason. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's going great. It's going great. Happy to be here.
0: I always ask this question first. Where are you coming from? Is that home for you? And if not, where's home?
1: So, uh, my home is in Bozeman, Montana. So quite, quite a ways from the Panthers habitat down in South Florida. Um, but I actually grew up in Florida and, um, have pretty deep roots there and have a lot of family down there. So it's definitely home is in the Rockies and probably will be, um, for quite a while, but I just, I have a love for the Southeast. I just have, it gets under your blood and it really gets into your, your system. And I just have a lot of great experiences there and friends there and connections that keep pulling me back.
0: Well, you know, I I was going to ask where, where in Florida did you grow up and and also what kind of home did you grow up in? You know, is it, was it an outdoorsy group or or was it you kind of discover that on your own later?
1: Yeah. uh, So uh, I went to high school in winter park, Florida, and actually, I was born in New England, but went to high school in Winter Park, Florida, and my family is still in Winter Park, Florida. So that's still Florida, um, close to that uh, that crazy universe that is um, Orlando. But uh, you know, as I learned growing up there, and and once you get into the outdoors, there is a whole different side of Florida that is incredibly wild. It's as wild as you want to get, really. Um, and, and it's actually quite accessible too. It's, it's very close to, uh, some of these kind of urban edge places. So yeah, you can get in, in pretty deep, pretty quickly. And also my family is very outdoor oriented. I grew up kayaking, backpacking, um, had really great fortune to come from a a family and uh really an outdoor heritage that has been uh, a few generations and and actually my my introduction to a lot of florida's wild was through my grandfather who is a big blast fisherman down in the keys and so uh some of the first florida wilderness i ever encountered was with him um looking for bonefish
0: yeah, you, you bring up a good point, and, and I didn't really think about this, but, yeah, the proximity to the wild here versus the cities, it's, it's much closer than out west where, you know, it easily drives eight to ten hours if you want to to get to some of these spots that you want to backpack or raft or whatever, film. Um, here it is, you know, it feels like it's that far away, but it really it's like two or three at the most and even before that you're passing plenty of places so they are smaller but they are pretty close proximity to where where you are that's really interesting so you grew up in a family that was outdoorsy and and you got to see that side of it D- did it surprise you at all when you know for folks around you that might have not known that it was so close i mean winter park that's like like you said right there in Orlando. That seems like one of the places for me, there is this big veil between development and non-developed areas.
1: Yeah, it it surprises a lot of people. Um, And I think unless you have kind of a guide or a friend or sort of a wild hair to get out there, um, it can be a little bit intimidating. and, And most Floridians, I would say are sort of oblivious, but, it's not, it's not their fault. It's basically that they just haven't had kind of a, a partner or someone to introduce that wild um, part of Florida to them. And so that was a big ambition for the film and, and really to put Florida on the map um, nationwide and globally as an ecosystem that deserves an incredible amount of respect and love and conservation so that's one of the larger goals that we set out to do is just really to understand and show people that may think of florida only as you know beaches and miami and mickey mouse like there's this whole other world out there and the panther was absolutely the hook that brought us there
0: you know i tell people a lot because we lived out west for about a decade and uh I tell people, you know, I'm a lot more intimidated going into the Florida backcountry, what is called, you know, no one uses that term backcountry, but the Florida wild than I was into like the rock. I felt like the Rockies. there's this infrastructure, there's great trail markers, there's um, search and rescue that's very well trained and very experienced and very accessible. And I'm like, here, you're kind of on your own. There's way more things that can bite you and just muckiness and it's less comfortable and there's just less, there's just less support and I'm a little more intimidated sometimes and it's funny, people don't expect that, uh, but it's true. So, you know, what, what what led you to Out West and what kind of, what was the hook or what got you, because I know this isn't your first story you've told about back home, what got you to start telling stories about where you came from while being out west.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's a interesting story. I came out west, I actually came to graduate school here in Bozeman um, for a program that was specializing in science and nature filmmaking. And at the time, it was pretty much the only um, program of its kind in the world. Um, So from this from this grad school actually our company formed a huge network of people who work in film and in the outdoors and filming wildlife and so this was kind of where where it all started i mean the the whole community that i tend to work with a lot of the cinematographers a lot of the producers and just so much of this talent came out of this little town bozeman in the heart of montana so that's where it all all began. But kind of nagging me this whole time as we were working in Yellowstone um, and Alaska and so many places in the West and so many parks around North America was this hunger to get back home, back to Florida, but also to stories that just weren't getting the same kind of exposure. And, And really to just not tell the same stories over and over. You know, we tend to kind of gravitate towards stories that are familiar there's so much potential in these stories that kind of grab you from the side and then just pull you in and you know obviously the the Panther project had that potential from the start but even before then uh, we did a trek and I work frequently c- collaborating with Carlton Ward the photographer in Florida and we did a trek across the state of Florida that was, 80, degree, 80 days of kayaking, hiking and backpacking through the state. And that really set the foundation for the work that was to come because that introduced this idea of a, of a corridor through the state that could be, could be preserved, could be conserved as a wild place uh, forever. And that foundation was really what kind of drove this next idea, uh, which was to explore the Florida Panther.
0: It's all been building up. I, I, I don't know which one you were just talking about, The Forgotten Coast or The Last Green Thread. Both awesome films. Yeah, uh, okay.
1: yeah, yeah. The Forgotten Coast, you know, was kind of the kickoff, um, and that was spectacular. And then in The Last Green Thread, we got to just focus on one tiny section of the state that was basically going to blink out this kind of idea that here was this last place, and if it disappeared... Um, you know, you would lose it forever.
0: In the last Green Thread, let me just mention this. You got to talk to uh, some family friends of mine. Got to see a lot of familiar faces in that film. That was exciting.
1: That's awesome. Well, Sticky is a legend. Marianne Collier, for sure. Like, that was just, those people, they're just uh, one of a kind. And that kind of old Florida, that's exactly the perspective that... um, when you meet people like that and you understand where they're coming from, you just see this landscape in a whole different light. And we really tried to weave those points of view uh, that are very close to the land into the new project as well. Um, That was a major theme for us just to bring the land to life through these characters. Yeah. Lucy Ann, we, we saw her on horseback and she has like one of the most classic moments in the film, you know, just, just her point of view about the way Florida has changed, and old Florida versus new Florida, and 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 basically the idea that you know this place used to be the frontier, and most people in the U.S. I would say do not know that that ranching cowboy culture, you know, frontier idea and culture is still so strong, and still very much a fiber and a, a part of state of florida
0: it's a beautiful thing but why do you think you know you coming from montana now i know this is your home but you've got you know acres and acres of wild land the culture's there why do you think these kinds of stories in this small little corner of the country is important for the rest of the country and world to know why why does why do people need to know about the florida ranching and, and the conservation projects going on here
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So vital that people see what um, what's happening in in Florida, because I tend to think of it as uh, for better or worse. A lot of times kind of we're looking at the future. We're looking at um, really the issues where we've run out of um, room. So there's so much development pressure in Florida that you tend to be on the front lines of, you know, these questions about land and the environment and, and the ecosystem there is so rich and has so much biodiversity and so much of that biodiversity lives on lands like ranch lands or working lands, places that are private or managed a little bit differently than, you know, kind of large federal lands out West. So, but then again, there's this similarities. I mean, I'm here in Montana where, again, we have a ranching culture that is incredibly intertwined with the ecosystem and managing that resource for wildlife. And those values I think are, are things that even if we're looking towards, 10, 20 years down the road, the rest of the country, you know, if we can't figure it out in Florida and figure out a way to preserve a, a piece of this state and all the biodiversity it has, then I don't think that bodes well for the rest of the country. Um, so I think the lessons that we can learn in Florida are just huge for the whole country. And mainly this idea of, the wildlife corridor basically something that only existed in the uh kind of academic world that was thinking about um biodiversity and and ideas for protecting it 10, 20 years ago is now being made into a geography um, a physical geography in the state of florida with really the first statewide idea to connect the corridor through the entire state And so if that idea can move to kind of a national perspective and people can wrap their heads around it, then there's no reason there can't be a Montana wildlife corridor, a California wildlife corridor, a Georgia wildlife corridor, and all of these could sync up. Um, And it would be very, very special. And each state would approach it locally and have their own take on it, but it would be um, monumental movement for the country.
0: I just saw the phrase Montana Wildlife Corridor yesterday in wow. an email from, you might know him, Ed Robertson, host of podcasts, Mountain and Prairie. In fact, you'd be an amazing guest. Um, and he shares a, a newsletter every week, Good News of the American West. And that phrase was used, and I thought, there it is. There is the idea, or at least the terminology and branding spreading, and all these corridors. Obviously, don't stop at state lines. Ideally, they are interconnected. So, the Florida corridor, the Florida wildlife corridor, could connect with the Georgia wildlife corridor, and like the the ultimate plan of the panther making its way back into the Appalachian Mountains. Tell us a little bit about kind of the involvement of this idea, because I'm I'm going to explain in detail the corridor in the intro. Mm-hmm. So don't feel like yep. you need to now. You can I mean unless you want to give your perspective on it, but how has the idea evolved? Because it wasn't boom, this exact this is needs to be made. It was kind of like an understanding of Carlton Ward specifically putting together all these pizzas, like, okay, someone already kind of made this idea. I forget the name of it. It was like the environmental. It was not the sexiest name right. before. Yeah. And uh <laughs> But it was but it was that was the foundation, the academic foundation. How have you seen from your perspective, this idea evolve and change and grow and kind of just manifest into an actual thing over the years, making these films about it.
1: Well, I, I always tell people that when we started uh, working uh, in Florida to communicate the idea of the Florida wildlife corridor, there was a very small, uh, very niche audience that was listening, uh, leaning forward, you know, getting engaged and um, it took years, um, both film, photography, um, outreach, these expeditions. um, It took so long to gain momentum to the point where that audience started to grow and kind of the, the brand around the corridor became this thing that had like this life of its own and we just started to see like this wave of enthusiasm growing and growing and finally it was like when we discovered the panther it and the panther story it was like this uh switch flipped on i mean all of a sudden everyone got the story and the story kind of had this almost universal quality to it where people could see that a panther's home range is 200 square miles and it can't live and sustain itself without one piece of land connected to the next piece of land and then a passage across a highway or a barrier um, over a canal. And so once that seed of that idea was kind of embodied in the panther, Then you saw even the the Florida legislature getting involved. You know, they could see the photos. They could see how special this was and what a unique opportunity it was to leave a new legacy for the state and for, you know, the next generations. And so that's kind of been the story is that it took, it was a big, big lift uh, initially to get the idea off the ground. And now that the story... Has kind of an icon in the panther. A lot of the understanding is like leapfrogging ahead of us. So we're we're now seeing this kind of wave of other states asking, "Oh, how can we do this? Um, how can we return a big animal like a puma to our landscape?" You know, and, and the advantage of that animal is that it used to be in Vermont, used to be in the Carolinas, used to be all over north america and it had all these regional you know nicknames like the panther is that regional nickname but it was uni- it was like this universal animal and and i think we're getting to a point where we recognize we want we want this wildness back or we're, we're ready for it
0: wow so you needed a you needed a star of the show to get the corridor idea yeah to to the like the level of urgency needed to be turned up in the Panthers story is like that That avenue. Everyone needs a charismatic megafauna to make the star of the show. That's awesome. They do, um, they do. Yeah. So this idea though that y'all put together or that like when the light bulb switch went off or the light switch went off, that was a while ago. Tell us about, I keep hearing the term or the phrase uh, or, or, or the timeline, six years, six years in the making Tell us about the formulation of this idea. What were those conversations like in the process of making it happen? Because, uh, I don't think people realize these kind of timelines that go into these, these projects like path of the Panther.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely been an incredible journey for a project that, uh, we had no kind of understanding of the scope of how, how large it would grow. You know, at the outset, uh, I remember the conversation when Carlson said, hey, I, uh, I decided to move to the swamp. I'm going to live out of my airstream. I'm going to dedicate myself and, you know, the next couple of years to this photo project. And we're going for the panther, which is the most, probably the most elusive mammal in North America and not only that there's you know biologists and researchers who study them who unless the cat is um collared or you know treed they they don't see them they don't see them in the wild and I've heard that from lots of researchers who actually never seen a this panther in the wild so my initial read on it was okay we're gonna have really these fleeting glimpses of this incredibly rare animal. And then let's make a short film. Let's make kind of a, you know, something that will reflect the quest, the story, uh, the idea of something impossible that we're all chasing after. And that's kind of one of those things that I think people go into the wild for, have those experience. That's why they're pulled in is because they want that unique experience um, with nature and wild things. And so that was the initial, thought and then the crazy part is that we actually started filming and photographing panthers um, regularly and we started getting this incredible footage and we had footage that I don't think anyone had ever seen before or um, even visualized before with these uh, incredible panthers in deep water you know basically moving through the swamp Uh, during flood stage and we had bears and we had turkeys and we had sandhill cranes and all the other diversity mixed in and this just kind of said the scope of the project just grew from there we had this one female uh, who we nicknamed Babs in the film and she right as we started the film was the first panther in 50 years to move from the southern Everglades to the northern Everglades and so then we had kind of the star of the film in this female panther and, and her um, quest to establish a new territory. So she was this pioneer. And so then all the pieces started to just come together. But at the same time, for all of those victories, you know, we had cameras flooded by hurricanes. We had just innumerable technical problems with all these systems and everything about the process was painstakingly slow. So even though we were, we were kind of set, okay, we're gonna do this big feature film, uh, make it you know, the moment, the first feature film ever made on the Florida Panther, there were so many setbacks along the way that it just started to take longer and longer and longer to finish.
0: As an experienced filmmaker, who, who's done a lot in the wilderness, of course, what was so challenging about this versus, in slowing the process down versus some of the other, you know, very wild. I mean, you've been in the most remote parts of Yellowstone. Why was this project so, so slow in comparison? Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's, a, it's so the, a lot of it has to do with um, the animal, the, the panther, you know, they're really mostly active at night and a lot of times you could maybe feel their presence around you but to actually see one for more than a split second is incredibly rare Um, and we did have one encounter that's documented in the film and it was our only encounter with um, a panther in the flesh uh, where we were able to film and and otherwise we were reliant on this technology of the camera trap uh, really to deliver the goods and we didn't want this to be um, trail camera, kind of off-the-shelf type footage. We wanted the most high-end systems that you could possibly deliver um, out there in the swamp with really sophisticated triggering and lighting and like these studio systems. And inevitably, those things would fail.
0: It's like the worst environment for that equipment, <laughs> possible. Oh, it is...
1: It is brutal. It is brutal. I mean, we had this hurricane roll over the whole setup. Hurricane Irma came through yep. and just blew up everything and flooded everything and trees crashing on cameras and and so it was yeah, it cows was,
0: stepping on cameras. Oh yeah. Yeah, lot. You, you you had so much go wrong.
1: We had bears. We had bears uh just tearing apart cameras, you know. They love cameras and we learned to disguise our scent like completely so that they wouldn't rip them to shreds, but yeah.
0: Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Unreal. It was fun. Well, I I tell you what, it's one of the moments that really I was emotional because this is you're so proud to show this to people like this is where I live. Like it's not just the land of Disney and and, um, and beaches, like you said in Miami and it, it, there's so much to it. I remember it's in it, but it's just all overlaid. Christmas morning or Christmas, I got my mom a trail cam. She lives in Frostproof, just you know, a, a very you know, off the shelf trail cam. and she puts it up Christmas Day. that night, she gets an image in her yard right next to her house the biggest black bear I've ever seen. And I said, mom, wow. this is happening all around you all the time. We just don't know it. We don't see it. And so many Floridians don't know that. But one moment that was so beautiful was that same, that shot where you had like 15 animals walking through at different times, like cranes and gators and bears and otters and panthers. And it just, it every shot, every cut, it just sank in just how vast the wildlife and the ecosystems and um, the 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 nature that is right here and in one spot. And that I thought that was one of the most powerful moments of the whole film. And I wanted to ask, did you feel like you learned more about Florida through this process or maybe your eyes were even more open to just how, just how important this story is?
1: Absolutely, I think that there were um, moments that I kind of um, remember processing in, in from camera traps, and fe- and feeling this kind of wave of emotion about not just how diverse um, these animal animals are in this wildlife. Uh, is in, in in this ecosystem but how the cameras you know being um this unique perspective without us present have this way to kind of capture their day-to-day lives of um you know whether it's a sandhill crane colt walking down the trail with its adult you know the, the mating pair up ahead and you're kind of like wow, this is how the natural world really functions when we're not interrupting it with, our, with ourselves. Um, not to say that we do that all the time, but we, our presence there makes animals react and behave differently. And then when you see uh, their kind of everyday existence and, and how unique that is, it almost gives you that lens of like, being able to relate to each of these animals more and their kind of their struggles and their sort of world that they inhabit um, without us around. So that's like one of the most powerful things I think about the camera trap footage is that you get this feeling um, that you're really watching behavior that maybe no one's ever seen before. Um, and and it's yeah, it's jaw dropping. And it reveals all kinds of secrets. Um, You know, we had interactions between um, gators and panthers and start to wonder like who's on top, you know, which one of these kind of fierce animals will, you know, rules the jungle, so to speak. But but we had some in day and we had some in night and it, it was fascinating because at night, um, you know, you had a, a, a panther approaching water and it was very cautious and very methodical. And if, a, if something splashed, you know, it would turn and just dart out of there super quickly. And then during the day, it was crazy. It was like the tables were turned. Um, you'd have a gator sitting on the bank and a panther walk up and they would be the gator that would take off. So it was just, yeah, that kind of stuff was, wow. like, blowing my mind. So cool. Yeah, yeah, really wild. So through the
0: process, this six years, you know, you're out in Montana. What what are, what is like, your community think? Like, there's Eric going off again to Florida for whatever reason. Like, are is, is it just, like, a hard concept to sell? It, it, do you feel like the weirdo, you know?
1: It's so funny because, yeah, oh, absolutely, because I think people think I am – like half crazy um, because I'm out there. And especially because the project is taking so long. Um, so there's like years and years going by and I'm off to the Everglades for another kind of deep immersion into the swamp. And most people are like, I will never do that. I, I wouldn't go there. Why, why are you doing this? You know, they have no idea why, Well, I continue to go and and suffer, you know, for the story. But what's beautiful is that now the community is getting a chance to see the film. um, And it's incredible, not just their response to it, but how many of the threads of the story really relate to to them and to us here in Montana. And so much of the story is kind of universal. So I'm hoping I can preserve some of my... um, half crazy reputation because i don't want people to think i was you know playing it straight all that time right
0: right absolutely (laughs) now we're all a little crazy that grew up here you know uh you one way it does apply like we were saying before the panther that's the name here but it is the mountain lion out west it is the puma in other parts of the world in the country um it is the what's the other one mountain lion panther
1: puma there's Catamount, there's Catamount, there's There's Cougar. Oh, Cougar, Cougar, that's the other one. Yeah, and then there's some weird names too, like Mountain Screamer, and that's like a West Virginia thing, you know? So there's like a lot of these local names. For the same Super animal. Cool.
0: But uh, it all is same trying animal. to survive, you know? It's, yeah. uh, man, so cool. This is so cool. So, so you know, the, the film came out six years in the making, so much hype, so much buildup. I mean, how often were you coming back and forth? I mean, you've got a family, you've got other projects going on. This had to just be, you know, we we see a lot of Carlton Ward in the film and he's out there a lot too, but, you know, he, he is here. You're coming from
1: 2,000 miles
0: away. How, how, how much were you doing this?
1: Um, quite a lot. Uh, it was interesting when we um, kind of, understood what we were making was more longer term. And we thought about the big elements of the story. A huge amount of the, the story and the structure of the story was filmed within the first couple of years. And then we would come back and dive into the edit and really kind of wrap our heads around what that story was, um, what was missing from it and what were those like critical pieces that we needed to make the story whole and understandable and just as compelling as possible. So the later we got, the more strategic we got with those, with those shooting opportunities. So when we returned, we were just real targeted and kind of knew exactly what we we're going for. There's exceptions. I mean, there were, there were events and moments that totally took us by surprise. And then we had we, we had to go like at the drop of the hat, like this disease that popped up in the Florida panther population, kind of out of nowhere and was visible on all the trail cameras, um, a neurological disease that was affecting how panthers walk. And so obviously we had to just kind of drop everything and go. And so there were those moments, too. But as we got deeper into the story, everything was real targeted. How can we do this and just nail exactly what we need
0: correct me if i'm wrong that neurological disease was from inbreeding
1: it it is still not determined um what the leading causes but most uh, of, the ev- of the evidence is pointing to an environmental exposure of some sort of toxin so it would be um you know there's been theories out there but. For example, like a toxic algae bloom, and then it affects the animals, but the tricky part is when they go to autopsy an animal that's afflicted, whatever these, uh, that toxin was has, seems to have left this, their system. So they still don't have a silver bullet, but they believe that it's some sort of environmental toxin that's out there.
0: Inconclusive, but we, we know inbreeding's not good. We know that at least. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't cause yeah. this, but from uh, another issue they're running into, or they did run into sure. in the past because their, oh, yeah. their environment's so small and their community's so small, they there's no other options.
1: Well, Panthers, um, the number of Panthers um, in the 80s and even into the early 90s was estimated to be as low as 20 individuals. So it was way past the point of like healthy genetic diversity. And so they did bring a few female um, cougars from Texas to bring health to that population. And, you know, some people are kind of, um, well, those weren't Panthers, you know, cause they came from Texas. But if you look at the big picture of Pumas, they are all across the U S and they would have naturally um, had individuals that roam big, long distances. So,
0: And there have been examples of that.
1: Yeah, there are. And th- like there was one that roamed naturally from South Dakota to Connecticut. I mean, it is incredible migration that this animal made. And so to restore health to the population, genetic health, by bringing these other animals in, that was what nature would have done anyway uh, a long time ago. So... Uh, Super cool that they were able to revitalize the genetic health of the animals that way.
0: What is an unexpected place or opportunity this film has has brought you? And maybe that's prior to during filming, you know, maybe that's during filming or maybe that's with the response. I, I feel particularly surprised from my point of view of how politically moving the film is Mm -hmm. and I'm just like I just didn't Mm -hmm. expect that you know like a film moves that needle and gets legislation moving y'all obviously knew this making films but like what's been a really unexpected response or or opportunity
1: well we always knew going into it that if we told a compelling story um, the most compelling story and for the widest audience that we could reach that there, that the impact would follow. Um, We didn't want to make something that was, you know, politics first. It's not politics first. It's a great story. It's a great, it's great characters, both human and animal characters. And it's really their stories. And then the natural part of wanting to do something with the story, wanting, wanting to take it and wanting to make it your own and create impact in Florida and, in the Southeast or, or wherever around the world, it just flows out of that story. So it just kind of comes full circle that the first questions were always asked after the film is what can we do? Um, how can we affect change with this? And the legislation that happened in Florida really sets the tone in the sense that if we do embrace kind of the core ideas behind the film, and really follow what the Panther has taught us, then there's no reason that, you know, policy just as progressive or even more progressive than what's been done here in the state of Florida could be all over the country. I mean, you can have Colorado, Utah, the Rockies, you could connect them all in, in corridors and you could have, um, you know, really systems that span the whole country And I think people need to act locally and they need to kind of come up with a geography and a map of their own wherever they live in their backyards. But I think the ideas are just uh, for that moment to happen. And so that's what's super exciting.
0: What was a moment from the filming process or, or anything around the project at all, you know, anything involved with it, that, uh, that really stands out in your mind as something really memorable or funny, or, or just uh, a moment that didn't make the cut because we want people to go watch this, but you'll never forget it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few, um, there's a few incredible moments that, that stand out and one that did not make the cut and we, uh, we probably are going to do a kind of web extra about was actually a, a truly close encounter that Carlton Ward had with an alligator while filming out there. And so um, this was a case where the, we had fantastic transitions in the environment that go from the, the dry swamp to the wet swamp. And, you know, these changes can happen uh, with some of these um, storms that come in quite quickly, and then you can have the swamp water rising like four or five feet in some of these places. So we um, we spent time repeating uh, basically the same camera shot at these locations to show the transition. And um, on one of those visits, uh, Carlton ended up stepping onto a really large alligator, and so. Uh, stay tuned. We actually are going to um, talk about that more and release some some footage that kind of did not make the, the cut uh, for a variety of, of reasons. Um, but it was, uh, it was a little bit of a wake up call for all of us because we had been around so many alligators and been uh, wading into a lot of deep pools where, you know, we had these gators and we would name like Big Al, you know, he was like our buddy. And we would like hang out with him and, and we were like, okay, well, we, uh, our luck has changed a little bit. So we need to change our approach a little bit. Um, so yeah, that was one example that didn't quite make the cut, but, um, we're going to feature it uh, coming up anyway that's awesome
0: I'm excited to see it out and I was uh, you know I want to ask now that this film is out the focus is distribution and getting more and more people to watch it what has been maybe some of the biggest questions or biggest either surprises misunderstandings or just themes that have come out of the
1: response of the film so I think the the biggest <clears throat> one of the most important questions to answer now is um, so if we have you know if we have a blueprint for this idea of corridors and the panther is kind of the the key and we're working with not always the usual suspects that would be allies with a panther so um, Elton Langford who's one of the main characters in the film he's a rancher and so he he's you know his Number one interest is the health of his cattle. Hmm. His um, right on the same level is his interest in the health of his land because the link between his cattle being healthy and his land being healthy is really huge. So he's realized that the panther is an ally. The panther is basically an animal that can show others and uh, teach others about how much diversity and Um, healthy land can be kept in ranching and not changed into subdivisions because that's the bigger threat. So that is an idea and a question that a lot of people come to. How, how is it possible that, you know, a rancher and a carnivore could be allies? And I think that's a really big question for us to look, um, to look at more broadly is, can we, See, ranching and working lands, and all these other and farms to some extent, and forests, uh, working forests as places where wildlife can thrive. And they weren't a hundred years ago. They weren't really allied in that way. Heck,
0: twenty years ago, it feels like.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's kind of like uh, you know one of those big questions that I think we all need to explore and think about.
0: Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. We all love getting out in the wild, whether you're camping, fishing, kayaking, whatever it is, you want to know that you're prepared and ready for anything. Enter the Relyon Battery Outlaw 1072S, a portable power station built exclusively for off-grid adventure, fulfilling your battery needs anytime you're out in the wild. The 1000 watt outlaw packs 72 amp hours of power that translates to over 250 phone charges or a whole week's lighting. And with an LCD screen for a real-time readout of your power status, you'll never get caught without power. Recharge at home from your vehicle or you can even use solar energy. You get zero carbon emissions, bringing all the power you need without all the noise and fumes of a gas generator like you see oftentimes at campgrounds. Plan your next adventure with Outlaw from Relyon. Currently on sale for a limited time at RelyonBattery.com adventure. And that's R-E-L-I-O-N battery.com adventure. Relyon Outlaw 1072S, powering adventure without limits. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. When people watch this film, you've been asked a lot of questions. You've seen a lot of. Most people aren't large landowners. You know, uh, I got an acre or two in the corridor, but but it's not like it, it. It's not an. It doesn't move the needle. Most people are not in this boat. What have you seen as? Um, maybe some of the. Major concerns, or do you feel like people walk away from this film understanding what you were trying to get across to them?
1: Yeah, no, I think that you could look at it on so many different scales. You know, you could look at a neighborhood, and maybe you have a zone where you have deer that are migrating through the neighborhood, and you've got greenways, or you've got a park, and then you've got a road, and then you've got basically another small patch of green on the other side and just thinking on that even on that tiny scale of just like one couple blocks or neighborhood even in urban areas you can think about birds in their corridors so there's no scale too small to get engaged and involved and the same ideas apply and then as you kind of move up the scale thinking about a whole state or a whole geography or a mountain range, or, you know, a continent or whatever, then it's kind of on us to really push other people to understand that, okay, that that's something that we're going to have to get our representatives really to, you know, kick some butt on this, like make some movement towards towards making this happen, because obviously, no single individual is going to pull that off. It's going to basically be just a huge push, like kind of a groundswell to get people working, uh, on the, on those big levels.
0: The ultimate goal is to expand this idea of corridors and show a success story here in Florida. And, and to me, you, you used a word the first time I've heard anyone else really, or any other group using this word. When I moved here from Colorado, my wife and I with our, our son, uh, the first thing, or just thing we started noticing, was it felt like the front lines. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I just feel like I entered the front lines of conservation um, here in the States. Obviously, you know, one of the front lines, there's many, um, but this just felt like this very urgent battle between a sizable and passionate group of people who want to protect this and those that are very willing to come through and and irreversibly change it. And that was so, I knew it, it was there because, you know, grew up here, you, you hear stories, but it was always with this sense of, yep, they're building more houses. Yep, they're, they're tearing that, that forest down. Yep, they're putting up a, a Walmart. And it was never, there was never anything that followed that as far as an actionable step or just hope in any way and, Coming back, it was like, whoa, there's a lot happening here. And y'all use those terms as well. So I think Florida is a really good just litmus test for it. If, if they can figure it out, if they can do something, surely we can. I think there are other stories within the corridor because obviously the Panther is really, it's a beautiful and enticing and, and, and a, definitely a hook of a, of a lens to look through, but it is one lens to look through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's, there's so many more stories, kind of every corner you poke around. um, There are always more and more stories. And I think that, that Florida is on the front lines and we know it. And it's one of those places where everyone knows it. You know, everyone, even at the grocery store, um, no matter if they recreate in the wild or just have no real connection with it they still understand that there is a limited amount of green space left and they in their lifetimes uh, that space is transforming like right before their eyes and it's really they drive down the same street or highway and you find yourself not recognizing the place I mean within a couple years you just don't even recognize the same places and you feel like wow like this whole world has been transformed and that I think is what gives the urgency to the story um and also the opportunity uh to show that that's kind of not a one uh that's not a guarantee that that's our future um we can definitely fight for the places that we love and the um, wild places that we love and the wild animals that we love. And I think the Panther, um, it's really cool. Betty Osceola is a main character in the film and she has an indigenous perspective that, you know, dates back generations. And she is from the Panther Clan. And the Panther Clan, they're, really rooted in understanding that the qualities of the Panther are qualities that they can embrace and then apply to their lives. So the idea of having kind of being a protector and a guardian of the ecosystem is something that if you're in the Panther clan, that's something that you take on. And that's a quality that you, um, project back on out into the world and so kind of one of our hopes is that if people understand the panthers kind of tenacity and its ability to protect and be a guardian for all this ecosystems in space that then they can get out and embrace that those same qualities and defend the sacred places the wild places that they really care about so that's just one of those amazing things that she brought to light and brought to the film.
0: Having that perspective so long, there is, you know, that area where she is, is obviously very special. There's a ton of connection and a ton of reason that place is important to her. Is there, I've got two last questions for you and then we'll wrap up. Is there a place in Florida that really speaks to you, really draws you in Is just a special, a special location?
1: You know, I think, The place as I've gotten to know it more and more um, that I consider, you know, maybe one of the wildest places in all of Florida is the Baccahatchee Swamp. It is one of the few places where even after, you know, kind of years of being immersed in some of these really remote places, you still, uh, you still can feel kind of a, a wild energy to it. And we were out there Um, actually filming ghost orchids and those those are just incredibly rare and wild and have this kind of um, obsessive quality where once you see one you know you want to see it again and you want to go back to it you're kind of like how's it is it are they blooming yet you know have they been pollinated like how's this whole thing still here in the middle of you know uh, not really further than an hour from from Naples and from a, a city center in Florida. And so that's a place that's kind of, you know, just one of those mysterious, awe-inspiring places. And I would put it right up there with, you know, really the, the backcountry of Yellowstone or blow- parts of Alaska. People really
0: don't understand, you know, it's people are very surprised to hear someone like you who has had so much experience around the world to say, to say
1: something like that. Yeah, it's an, ener- it's, it's an energy, you know, it's even in these wild, wild places, when, you know, you can visit Yosemite and get off the beaten path and find a kind of nook to yourself where you've got that like moment where you're in that really intense, wild energy there. And you can find that in all sorts of places, but then also kind of on, um, on the main drags and stuff in a lot of these parks, um, it's gone. It's like, you you don't feel it. So it's just one of those things, you've got to get a little further out, uh, whether I love trail running. So like, when I get out trail running, um, it's farther than most people are going to go hike. So like, you just end up on an incredible peak or out in the backcountry. I've trail run in Florida too and same thing you just get in these really wild places and um, it's great that that's what kind of uh, revitalizes me all the work filming and producing and a lot of the phone calls that a producer makes and a director has to deal with putting out fires then as long as I get out into the backcountry doing what I love I feel good again you know, I
0: know that one of the best things people can do is check out this film and, and advocate. But if there's like one thing you could ask people to really physically, personally do, what is something that they can actually do to help push forward this conservation,
1: um, this Florida wildlife corridor and the work that y'all are doing? So I think spreading the word is amazing. Watching the film is amazing. Getting engaged in the community that's working so hard to communicate this idea um, at both pathofthepanther.com and and the Florida Wildlife Corridor Foundation, all the work that's going on there. But I think the biggest thing you can do is to start to take um, real pride and real um, ownership over basically one of florida's greatest ideas i mean this idea that has come out of um really the hard work and sweat and and blood of a lot of people to make the uh corridor a reality uh now we've got um 10 million acres that are in permanent protection there are 8 million acres that are totally unprotected left in that corridor. So if you live close to the corridor, or even if you don't live close to the corridor, you should learn about it. You should kind of take an interest in what those missing links are. And we have a long way to go. I'd say we're halfway there. And there's definitely There's no kind of victory lap or celebration yet because the window to actually preserve this thing and make it real is closing real quick. So we have about 10 years. We have about a decade um, to make that other 8 million acres uh, a real, solid, protected forever geography. And, And if that happens, I think Floridians will be thankful for it, I think. In the future, they will kind of look back and say, Hey, this was, this was really cool that this was protected the way it was. And, you know, I think it'll be an achievement that goes right up there with some of the creation of parks, like the Everglades and, and, and milestones like that. So it's something we can all contribute to. That is absolutely
0: epic to think about that. And I did not think about this in the lens of the creation of a park service. Almost like that, that kind of idea.
1: I think, you know, when they thought of the first parks, it was probably a fringe idea at the time as well. And they probably thought, okay, this is an experiment. We'll see how it goes. And, and now, I mean, you look back on it and you're just like, it's mind blowing that they thought about it, that they had the wisdom to see it. And I think this is this is right there. It's the opportunity is ours. It's
0: like national parks 2.0. You know where it's like it's not just that. the zoos, like Carlton. I've heard mention like the 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 fenceless zoos. It's it's the interconnectedness mm-hmm. of all those places that are that are already protected and the ones that are yet to be. Wow, that's that's really freaking cool.
1: Yep, it is. It's national parks 2.0.
0: Man, I just This is so exciting. I'll, I'll let you go, but like, I'm just so thankful, folks like you are working on this and have, are are just thinking so far ahead and being so strategic about it, and so such quality work. So really, really, I just want to say thank you.
1: That's awesome. Thanks for spreading the word and just for allowing people the space to dig in, because a lot of times they just they they get this this stuff and it's very. Um, you know, when you think about it in terms of what the animal, like a panther is doing, it makes total sense. It's totally intuitive and we all get it, but we need the space to think that way. And, you know, this, this kind of work, you know, that you're doing to bring audiences to an idea and to let them think about it um, in a compelling way. That's exactly what we're trying to do with the film. Oh, man. Beautiful.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much, Eric. We'll uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Mason. Yep. Cheers, Bye. man. Cheers. Bye. Bye. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to the show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash Podcast. Link is in the show notes.